Welcome to 2021. This is our first Sparks podcast of this new year. And there are so many people that we'd like to thank. So many people that we want to thank for helping us and supporting us in our mission, vision and values on a daily basis. I want to spend a couple of minutes and just thank our PPG corporate partners. These are organisations that align with PPG and offer our memberships great deals and discounts on some of their programs. They proudly display their logo on our website to say, yes, we stand with the Pet Professional Guild. So who are they? Well, in the UK, we have Animal Courses Direct, offering a great selection of animal courses. Dog Biz. Smart Dog Training and Behaviour. Dog Gone Safe. Dognostics Career Centre. Cooperative Paws Service Dog Coach. Canine Arthritis Management. Business Insurers of the Carolinas. Transpore Gear. Dog Games. Illis ABC. The Dog Genius. Gundog Trainers Academy. Two Hounds Design. ISCP, the International School for Canine Psychology and Behaviour, Easy Pet Fence and the Fearful Dog Project. You can find their websites by visiting petprofessionalguild.com and on the home page just click on their logos. Please go there. Show them that you care about them the way that they care about us. Thank you. Have a wonderful 2021. It's Bark's Podcast 2021. We had a great year in 2020 and here we are back to spend more time with pet professionals. If you want to join us on the Bark's Podcast to share your education, your skills, to network with us, to inform your colleagues of what you're doing, then please give us a call. Reach out and contact us through thepetprofessionalguild.com. As a community, let's share and learn together. This conference will now be recorded. Good morning. Welcome. This is a Barks podcast where we feature news interviews and information from the pet industry, bringing you news about what's going on, what's being updated. And we have the great opportunity of chatting with some fabulous force-free sounds-based training professionals. Today, I am chatting with Veronica Sanchez from Cooperative Paws, and Veronica has been on our program before. Veronica's business is a corporate partner of PPG. She's done webinars for us and all kinds of other really wonderful things. So Veronica, welcome, welcome back. I always really enjoy chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always fun. Yeah, you're welcome. And we always have a great chit chat before we go live, don't we? We always want to catch up. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. Well, the timing of this podcast, it, we sort of strategized a few months ago when we last spoke. We spoke a lot about some of your smaller programs, and I had stressed an interest in digging deeper and learning more about your certification program. And I know you only open that a couple of times a year, and I think you've just opened it. So let's talk about that so that anyone listening can jump on board and become part of that next cohort. So tell us about the, tell us about the certification program. What's it called? What does it include? What are the requirements? And if you miss anything, I'll dig a bit deeper. Great. So I was, um, the certification program is actually where I started all this because I was um, inspired by, I, I live uh, right outside of uh, the Washington, Washington, D.C., and I 
am very fortunate. We have so many amazing positive trainers in this area. And they're really highly skilled, really committed to force-free training, very talented trainers. And um, what I noticed was that I was the only one offering service dog training. And that was a positive trainer. There were um, there are non-positive trainers that were offering it, but the positive trainers were not. And so I asked some of my talented colleagues, you know, what would you think about this? You know, I can't, um, I myself, uh, it was limited number of clients I could take, and there were clients that were a little bit further to drive, um, and they wanted to find somebody closer to them. And I was like, I can't, you know, I don't have anyone to refer to. And what they they were all telling me the same thing, which is that, wow, well, we really like education, and that's one of the things about these wonderful positive uh, trainers is that they want education. They did they felt like they understood the training aspects of how to teach behaviors, but they didn't. There's a, a there's aspects about service dog training that um, they didn't have information on. And because there's a lot of legal aspects to it, also there's a process involved and a whole piece about public access and all that. So I designed the service dog coaching program to essentially fill in those gaps and to bridge um, that piece of these uh, work. It's basically for experienced positive dog trainers. So it is designed for someone who's already out there, who's been training, who has uh, experience training um, dogs, understands how to, to create behavior chains, use a clicker, all that kind of uh, stuff. And basically bridge that gap and um, help them expand their business to offer service dog training. And many of my, um, graduates are, are pet dog trainers who basically run a pet dog business and then have incorporated service dog training in that business. But I also have uh, trainers who have decided, have gone full throttle and now they're working for service dog programs or they've um, changed over their pet dog business to do primarily service dogs. Um, I always tell people that this is something that is um, like another specialty area. It's something that requires some expertise and some knowledge, but you can fit it in. Um, you know, many trainers do maybe a different specialty area. Maybe they do competition obedience, for example, and they still also offer pet dog training. They still might do behavior consults. And so a lot of um, it's flexible in that way that you can fit it in into what you're already doing and you can take it on at um, a level that you're comfortable. You can decide, okay, I'm only going to do this type of service dog, or I'm or I'm going to, or you can jump in both feet and and right. become a service dog specialist. So, so in terms of services, if somebody is to participate in this program and become certified, when they're finished, they would then be able to um, launch a brand new service product, which would give them the ability to do private training one-on-ones in the client's home to help that client work with their service dog. Is, is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. I essentially designed uh, this program for what I wish I would have had getting started. Right. right. You know? yeah. um, so it's designed both with the idea of giving you knowledge and skills, but also mm -hmm. um, you know, very practically as a, as a business. And, and I, and I went at this from the perspective as I myself was a pet dog trainer. So I was like, I don't want to reinvent. So we have like, I consulted with um, an attorney who specialized in animal law and uh, you know, we developed forms and, and things like that. And also just in terms of the process, um, mm -hmm. 
but I, I do, I, and, I, and a part of the program is students have access to me. And a lot of times as we start getting into it, we, we, you know, we talk about the process of training a service dog, a process of doing evaluations. Um, right. the, the main sort of all trainers are like, they, they, I get the common question, which is everyone's sort of dilemma. Okay, they've come to me with this dog. What do I do if um, they just, I don't know anything about the dog. They just adopted the dog. Or how do I answer these questions? The, and we talk a lot about that, and I also answer because geographically, mm -hmm. and I also have international students from other countries, what you're getting can also vary. The types of requests right. um, that you're getting can depend. So we kind of address those issues yeah. and, then, um, and then talk about how it fits into their business model because, um, as you know, there's some trainers who do lots of day training. And then there's some trainers who run facilities who have trainers on staff and maybe they run a dog daycare. And so the way you incorporate it needs to work for your business um, yeah. from a standpoint right. that way. Right. So I, think, you know, I, I think what I love most about the, what I've learned about the program is I remember years ago when we first started the Dogsmith because we, we have um, licensed Dogsmith trainers and several of them said, you know, I'm just constantly getting inundated with people that call me and say, can you train my service dog? But there's a massive knowledge gap there between even the client not really understanding what that looks like, what that means, what that entails. And then the dog trainer who may have a little bit of understanding, but again, there's a knowledge gap. Right. So you don't even have two people starting off on the same playing field with expectations. And then obviously all the legalities between service dogs, emotional support, etc. And I think in my experience, what I've noticed is a lot of dog trainers just say, you know what, I just can't get involved in it because I don't understand it. There are obviously liability issues. This is more serious than just pet dog training in terms of the consequences. Right. So, so the fact that there's a program there that can help competent dog trainers who have all the requisite skills and knowledge about behavior and training and et cetera, to then guide them through how they can launch that, I think is absolutely fantastic. Because I do think, I mean, I don't do a lot of training anymore, but 15 years ago, I sort of um, put my feet in the water a little bit and went, oh my God, I now know what I don't know before I didn't know what I didn't know. There's so much I do not know. Right. And, and where do you go to get that information? Because I had a dream of opening up a dog training center where you brought dogs in from rescue that had been assessed and were then trained and we helped sort of, you know, find the right homes for them to assist the right people. But again, because of the legalities and because of the, um, you're sort of dealing with people that need help and support, there is a lot of moving parts, isn't there? And, and again, yeah. I, I know at least four or five really competent dog trainers that in the past just said, you know, it's always been a dream of mine, but I just, it's just not something I feel like I can embark on because there isn't yeah. a vehicle. And now that now that vehicle's there, so I think it's great. It it, it sounds scary, is what it is. Yeah. You know, it sounds yeah. scary. Um, and one of the things that I, I that I mean, I talk and I talk to my students about this too is like, it, don't do anything that feels scary. If it feels scary, then how do you make it unscary? So yeah. I mean, you don't have. It's sort of. Um, well, take a take. Say somebody says, um, and I think part of this is a little. It is a different mindset when you're working with service dog clients because we are used to as um, providing a service. We're used yeah. to just the owner makes a request and then we say yes <laughs> or figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want my dog to stop pulling on leash. We can make that happen. Yeah. Um, but 
Um, but I, I think that a better analogy in a way is to think about these a little bit more as they're not behavior consults or they shouldn't be hopefully, hopefully the dog's really solid. But um, when somebody comes in with a behavior consult and they have a dog that's um, not suited for dog parks, um, because maybe it's really very intensely dog aggressive and it's just, it's not a dog park dog. And so we don't go into that with the same thing. Oh, I want to take my dog to the dog park. We right. go into that as I need to, as an, this is an education moment. I need to educate you on your dog and, and help you set realistic expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, service dog work has that big element to it because um, you know, somebody might come in and they might say, I want my service dog to pull my wheelchair. Well, that's an immediate one that's going to make dog trainers a lot of times go, whoa, that sounds scary. <laughs> what if the dog doesn't stop pulling or what if they get hurt? Um, and, and the thing about it that there's like wonderful ways to address that with the client that are not at all confrontational, mm -hmm. that are, that people are very receptive to. Um, you know, I mean, I'm always like, that's a that's a healthcare thing like if a dog can pull yeah. a wheelchair or not so yeah. i'm i'm gonna say well one and a veterinarian thing so yeah. i'm gonna say first um we'll need to you know you'll need to consult with a physical therapist mm -hmm. and i'll need to see some documentation about that to make yeah. sure that that's going to be valid for you well get get this the physical therapist will do the job because I, I never talked to a physical therapist who actually wants a dog to pull a wheelchair. They're gonna, they're gonna say it. <laughs> so, so then, but then you well, as and, and, dog trainer can come up with alternatives. Can be like, and, this, you know, and, this is, and this is the kind of information that someone like me just would not have known. You, you would be trying to address that situation um, right. without really recognizing where you could refer it to or sort of bounce it to in terms of right. getting them. Right, because there's another area of expertise. It's, yeah. it's the same yeah. way we've always said, um, we're going to refer to a veterinary behaviorist or yeah. a board certified vet or whatever. This isn't, there's another area of expertise, which is the healthcare yeah. piece. But yeah. the wonderful thing is that, you know, we, by knowing that, guess what, that when we have a healthcare question, we don't answer it. Yeah. We just send that back. Yeah. Um, and we're like, or if we think something's not safe, we say that and we're like, you know, we want to make sure the healthcare provider knows this and is aware of this. And right. then, and then, and then we'll move forward. And, and the truth is that that just makes it, there's no, um, you know, that's people with disabilities are, are, are going to be very receptive to that. They're going to think, wow. And, oh, wow, this trainer is so responsible. They're yeah. they're They want to make sure it's safe and it does not end up, um, being the kind of, I mean, a lot of times people think, oh, that's going to be a drama or a conflict. It does not. Absolutely not. It's, just, it's a yeah. very easy conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah. But these are the kinds of things that we do talk about the program. I think some of the hardest, um, just the little bits of logistics and how to do this in a way that's easy for the trainer, because it is a new um, area yeah. of stepping into. Um, and then the other piece um, is that the part about, um, which is a common one, well, they have a dog and this dog is really fearful, really skittish, and this is the dog they want to train for, yeah. for service work. So they want to take them in, and that, that for me was always the scary part because when I said earlier, you have people that say, hey, I want to train my dog as a service dog. My child's just been diagnosed with or my mother or, and they right. want to use an existing family pet that a professional right. would just know is just not suitable. Right, not suited. And yeah. so I think, you know, that to me is very much like the dog park conversation. And a lot of people say, well, 
it's a world more intense. Sometimes people think it's more intense than the dog park conversation. Well, I'm myself a person with a disability. Um, and I was before that, I was just a pet owner before because I wasn't always disabled. Um, and I can tell you, I don't, I, I mean, I think that when you love your dog, I mean, I think it depends on the individual. For some people, that's gonna be a more intense conversation than it is for somebody else, but not yeah. automatically. It's, right. it's not, um, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we kind of jump in is making assumptions about the client that's gonna come in front of us before they've actually been there. Absolutely. I've yeah. actually found that in my experience, I found people to be very receptive, even when they, um, even the toughest case, the tough case is, um, the person who spent a tremendous amount of money mm -hmm. buying a dog from a breeder who was irresponsible, mm -hmm. um, and this is an, and I'm thinking of an actual case here. Um, they they this dog came to them, and this dog was absolutely not suited for service work. Mm -hmm. And um, so now they come to me because I'm supposed to help them train this dog for service work, but the breeder said it was a service dog. So now you know I'm coming up against. Uh, yeah. you know but the the dog was bred for service work it was from a i have to tell you it was one of the um it was it was the, the absolutely was the client was not at all upset um and it was actually prepared already i had seen the obvious and was yeah. already prepared and realized that unfortunately um had been taken advantage of and yeah. the truth is that i mean that you know it's it could I have an unreasonable person? Yes, but not any not any more difficult. I think the other piece too is um, that in some cases, uh, especially uh, now with so many people working from home, that the dog might be able to perform some tasks and become an in-home service dog. Right. Um, and um, it depends on the case. And it, it, you know, obviously, if the dog has a serious behavior problem, that behavior problem has to be addressed. You're not gonna be mm -hmm. um, task training a dog that has a serious behavior yeah. problem. But if the dog maybe is a dog that is uh, just fearful in unfamiliar environments, but in the home is super relaxed, um, that dog might be able to be to perform some tasks in the home. Now, you still want to have paperwork. You still want to have some documentation. You're technically still mm -hmm. training a service dog. Right. Um, and I do have um, some graduates who are basically specializing in in-home in service dogs, and so that's another way. It's like you can you can um, it doesn't have to. And a lot of people start with that. The other area that in-home service dogs is um, can be really helpful is also for seniors, um, people with Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's, where there's always uh, there may always be a caregiver in the home as well. And they may not really go out very much, but still benefit from tasks um, in the house. Everything from a retrieve to um, a light switch or. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things can be um, so, for example, like maybe they forget to eat and then or get or, or argue with the caregiver. Maybe the caregiver is prompting the dog to retrieve a snack. Um, so now it's like a little bit more fun. It's a little easier. Um, or even incorporating the dog a little bit in whatever, you know, PT or OT, occupational therapy or physical yeah. therapy the client's already receiving. So when you refer to in-home service dogs, you're not using it as a category for like CNI dogs or emotional support dogs. You're using it to categorize dogs 
that can have lots of function, lots of purpose, and be trained to do specific tasks and skills just in the surroundings of the family home. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, and they could be for uh, a mental illness. It could be, um, generally speaking, people who are blind, they mostly need, they usually need the dog to be public access. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it could be in home for uh, a mental illness. Absolutely. Um, you know, tasks like alerting to anxiety can be done at home. Yeah. Uh, so service dog programs have actually always done this. Um, and it's just people, they've, they call them skilled companions. So you would have a dog, um, or that was like a term that's been thrown around. They've called them different things, but basically they would have dogs that they had uh, you know, bred, carefully trained, done all these tasks, and now mm -hmm. you, for some, whatever reason, the dog's not public access suited. Right. And so they, they would then place these, often place these dogs, they often still do this, they place the dogs with someone with a disability, but they say, sorry, no public access. And so they just gave them a different name, you know, whatever, oh, skill can, right. something else. Right. Um, but so that they didn't have, you know, the, the so they, the owner knew they weren't public access. Now, um, the truth is that, um, you know, you just still have to be careful because you don't want to do this task, train a dog and have this be your idea. You're only going to have this, these tasks done at home. You're not preparing the dog for public access at all. And then have the owner go and take the dog everywhere. So, um, like I, I always say, you know, you have to be, um, going in this knowledgeably, you have to have uh, paperwork and all that stuff. And if you're task training the dog to help the person with uh, medical needs, you still need to run these by, by a healthcare provider. This is still a service dog. It's yeah. just yeah. not working in public places. Um, yeah. And again, like I, like I mentioned, I mean, many tasks, even like some of these, um, now the medical alert tasks are getting some, a lot of a, a lot of attention, but diabetic alert, I mean, these tasks, are done in public, but they're also done at home. And if and if the person already has a dog um, that that they wanted to do with, like I said, maybe they work from home, they might that might be something that they would benefit from or be happy with. A lot of um, hearing dogs, in particular, um, have always actually um, it's it's a little bit of a different field than some of the other types of service dogs. But dogs that alert uh, to sounds, a lot of times, a lot of the work was done at home. A lot right. of the doorbells, phones, the microwave, yeah. the coffee yeah. pot. Um, and so if you think about that, that's also a large population. We start thinking about seniors who might not be completely deaf, but losing their hearing. Maybe they have a little dog at home anyway, and maybe this it would be really helpful for this dog right. to let them know when somebody's at the door or something like that. Um, so it's a really large um, category. Uh, also, uh, a lot of times, some of the dogs for children used to be traditionally placed as in-home service dogs for uh, children with disabilities, because depending right. on the child, they might not be able to handle the dog independently. Right, so. right, excellent. So there's, there's absolutely no doubt about the quality of the program in terms of your experience and your skills. Talk to me so that people out there that are going, wow, this sounds really interesting. Talk to me about how this program flows. They, from when they sign up, what happens? What do they get? How often do you meet? What's the requirement? How much time are they going to need? So that somebody gets a really broad picture of exactly what they're getting, what the sort of quality of what they're receiving. 
So um, basically people apply to the program and the prerequisites are um, are spelled out online, but I do look for wanting them to have experience. And the thing with this dog training industry is that there's so many different credentials and ways people can demonstrate it. And I always tell people, look, write everything down. Um, you know, we recognize that if people are in certain parts of the world, it might be very difficult for them to have some of these letters. But what I'm looking for basically is a skill set and a commitment to positive training um, okay. and experience. Then after they've applied, um, the program, it takes three months. So it's basically a 12 week program and it's done online. Um, so we have, uh, so you can do it from your home. <laughs> you do need to have a dog to train, but that dog does not need to be a service dog or even service dog appropriate. It does, however, need to be a dog that it's going to be helpful if the dog is food motivated because the ta what you're doing is something you're going to be doing some tasks mm -hmm. and that it's going to be difficult if you're working with a dog that isn't um, yeah. an easy training dog. So other than the dog being an easy, the dog can be a dog that trains easily in a low distraction setting inside your house, basically. Right. You're right. not going to need to take the dog everywhere. Um, but the program involves a uh, you get online it's a you log into the learning management system you can do it on your computer you could do it on your phone you could do it on a pad and you watch videos and then you do the reading and then there's little quizzes that are multiple choice quizzes that absolute people can retake if they need to and then there's little discussion areas within each lesson and basically i recommend people plan to set aside about two hours a week to work on it um and then there's also uh, several projects and the projects are um, a, a lot of times when people are like, oh, wow, this is, um, you know, they, they're, um, these projects are designed to help people both understand service dogs, but also learn about people with disabilities. Right. Um, so there's um, sort of two sort of areas there that are being covered. And then um, the other project uh, involved the training piece where people, uh, students submit video uh, to me and um, I always tell people, to relax, I'm not, you know, I myself have video of myself out there that I think I'm wearing fuzzy socks in, really fuzzy socks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's how I always tell people. You know, it's, it, isn't it funny? Because at Dognostics, we are, all our skill videos, all our skill mm -hmm. courses require video submissions. And we, we have to tell people, we don't care what you're wearing. You know, you don't have to get, it's not a, um, a sort of amateur dramatic publication. You don't have to get video savvy. Right. You don't have to get your best clothes on. Right. You're, you're assessing training skills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one of my, I always tell people, I always tell people like, did you not see the demos in the course that I myself did? Did you yeah. see the songs? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have this one clip that I did and it was, it was very difficult to get because I was uh, training a retrieve and I'm back chaining it. And it was a moment where I made a particular step and it was a great a demo of that, but my socks. Um, and, you know, and I like said, you know, I have to leave it on because until I get another dog who doesn't know this at all, yeah. that I have enough time to get the camera going and get this clip. So I'm like, so anyway, but um, I tell, um, yeah, absolutely. They submit video. Um, and there's two tasks. One of them is a back change retrieve with a with a hold, and then the other task they choose from a list, um, depending upon um, you know what their interest area is. Yeah. And then um, and basically also they have access to me by email because I know people are I I know I probably would be the person using the email. I get shy on 
um, you know, discussion forums. I'm like, I don't know, I don't. So I always tell people, yes, you can post on the discussion or you can just send me an email, whatever yeah. way. Um, yeah. And then after after they graduate, they, um, they, they meet all the requirements and they become an SDC, the service dog coach, and they got the logo and they got um, the materials, the business tools. And then we have a, a private Facebook group um, so that, um, because a lot of times when you're first getting started, it's like you need a minute to process everything and then you're yeah. trying to figure out how I'm putting yeah. it all together. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I've just spent the last 12 months becoming a, a certified running coach. And I'm, I'm so Yeah, I did my final exam um, three days ago. It was a five-hour online exam where I had to teach the full curriculum. So it was that. So it wasn't just teaching. I was actually running and doing. Ex by, the, by the end of the day, I was absolutely exhausted. But the, the the thing I really love to hear you say there is that is that you know students are very individual, aren't they? And some students just want to sort of log on and do their thing. They don't want to become part of the group. They don't want to network with everybody. They just want to learn the materials and sort of go off and do their own thing. And other people really embrace through osmosis the entire right process. And I think it's really important that students are recognized for how they best want to learn. And if somebody's not comfortable posting in a group, um, you know, we do support by go to meeting, by um, webcam, by telephone, by email, because different people want to communicate in different ways. And I think that's really important that it's not just a one size fits all. Right, right. Well, I mean, I and I, like I said, I myself completely appreciate the student yeah. who is like i don't know i'm just going to send a three-line email and then like wait and hope that you yeah. <laughs> hope that it was okay <laughs> and um so i understand that um that piece but i yeah. always tell people you know you can do both don't be scary and the, uh, the other piece too is i guess it's a little different from these discussions because it's within the learning management system it's not like facebook like people don't actually entirely know who you who you are you yeah, are a little bit research your entire history and who your yeah. friends are Right, right. I mean, you want to log if you want to log in and announce yourself and go, this is yeah. my URL, this is my website and company, you can, but you, you yeah. can just, you can stay as, as you are. Um, I've also had, um, and I and I had this, this has been, happened several times, I've had students who are second language, it's, it, the English is their second language, yeah. and so that can also impact, I'm very yeah. sensitive to that because my parents were both second language uh, learners, so I'm always like, you know, it's, it's fine, and this is, yeah. um, that yeah. absolutely people can can be um you know open yeah. to open to that as well it's yeah. not it's not a big deal i'm not yeah. i'm not checking grammar um yeah. and i hope no one checks mine <laughs> so. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that this 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 um cohort actually started on january 5th is that correct i'm taking applications january 5th um and then the cohort will really, really begins march uh i'm going march 9th yeah okay so people have from now, when does the registration uh, close? I, I will, I, it's the end of February. Um, so I recommend people to apply soon. There's an early bird um, pricing in January in about two weeks. Um, but they, um, I recommend people apply earlier because last summer, last spring when we ran this, we filled long before the end date. So, um, I recommend and people, I mean, we were full about, a, I would say we were full about a week after the early bird deadline last time. Right. So I, so even but though it says we're taking applications until end of February, I recommend 
that if they really want to make sure they have a spot to apply um, sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, All right. So the the website address is it is cooperativepause.com. And uh, right now there's a red banner on the top with a direct link taking you to where you want to go on the website. Okay. Um, but it is the service dog, service dog certification program. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And don't get lost on the website because there are some other really great courses there as well. There's some smaller courses there as well. Right. So, so actually, if somebody wants to join the certification program, you've got enough time to do a couple of the smaller programs before that starts because it's not starting They do. Yeah. And I've actually, yeah. I've, it was uh, interesting because I have had several people pop in on the smaller courses since yeah. uh, Tuesday when the when the applications went up. So I think that might right. be what they're doing, but, um, yeah. which I, I think is great. I, yeah. I think that's great because I think like that way you can um, check, make sure it's your cup of tea yeah. and then keep going. Right. Right. So um, you gave us some presentations at Geek Week as well, didn't you? Do you remember what the presentation was called? I don't remember. I, remember. I did a one about working with clients with mobile, impaired mobility. Okay. So, and that one was, it's like whether you want to train a service dog or pets, it was with tips on how to adapt training for that client. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And we really enjoyed having you there. You were a corporate partner as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going we're gonna to have you back because we love chatting to you. And we actually said that next time we'll have you back on Facebook so that everybody can see you as well. As well as <laughs> then we'll you have to do my hair. And yeah. <laughs> I'm an effort, yeah. My husband always knows when I'm doing the Facebook Live because he goes, oh, you cleaned up well today. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise I'm in my fuzzy socks and my pajamas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure having you is anything else anything else that you want to tell anybody before we finish i mean where people oh, no. you've got a facebook page as well don't you yes i do have a facebook page and i have an instagram that i didn't realize i had <laughs> <laughs> how can you have an instagram and not realize you have it <laughs> i did yeah it happened it happened i'm not sure and if people were saying you've been posting on instagram and, and then I think I realized that I was doing is I was boosting posts on Facebook and they were showing up there too. Yeah. I, I don't know what I was yeah. doing. So yeah, don't message me on Miss Instagram. Yeah. That would be my thing because I, I obviously am not skilled yet. Use my, yeah. email. go to the, my website and send me. You know, I, I don't know. There's something in the air. Yesterday I um, paid for a um, personal coach insurance policy for the next 12 months. Uh-huh. And to qualify to do this running program, I had to become a fitness instructor. So I had to do that first, just to be able to apply for this fabulous running coach program I wanted. So I applied for the insurance and I paid for it online. And I got an email off them this morning saying, is this a separate insurance policy because you signed up with us four months ago? And I'm just like, I mean, how embarrassing is that? Not to know, not to remember. I think, is that a sign of the environment that we're all operating in with COVID? I mean, it's just craziness. I know, I know, I think so. I just, I feel like I don't, yeah. I feel like I have like five stacks of paper and I don't know exactly yeah. What, yeah. what I'm doing at any given point. That is hilarious though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've, I've done that. I think I've renewed things that later on I'm like, did I need to renew? Well. Right. Maybe I'll just yeah. renew again. I don't know. I mean, but I don't yeah. know if it's my age, if it's 
I'm going to blame it on the COVID operating environment because, yeah, because it's easy to blame it on that. But yeah, I it seems think like everybody has all these balls in the air, and you know, every single day it's just something new is going on. It just, but the, you know, it's 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 interesting, and this is in the context of um, online learning. Because mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I took these certification programs is because I wanted something that was not job related that I could do being at home, not going out, not exposing myself. And I've really enjoyed it. And I think there has been so much opportunity, and this is another great opportunity with this program here, mm-hmm. for people to fully immerse themselves. And I know it's not good that we're on lockdowns. I know the health situation is scary and people are dying, it's awful. But there's got to be something that comes out of it, hasn't there? And I think for right. a lot of people, that's an opportunity for some great personal development. So, right, right. So, I hope you and I know for, for a lot of people with disabilities, um, like I myself was, I have to say my life didn't change. It changed some, but it didn't yeah. change as much yeah. because I am not independently trans. Uh, I don't have, I have a wheelchair. You can't, um, you don't have as much access if you right. have limited driving and have a wheelchair, Uber and, and those services are not entirely accessible in my, in my area. Yeah. So, but I know that I speak, I, a lot of people with disabilities have, have been saying the same thing that for us, it's been uh, opportunities have opened. I, I was particularly appreciative of being able to do Geek Week because up until um, up until this uh, tragic, horrific pandemic, um, with all of the conferences being in person, I can't travel to them. And so yeah. I was like, people were like, well, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I am actually <laughs> can't yeah. make it. But it gives me an opportunity to reach out um, to, you know, and 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 have a, you know, have have a little presence in a conference yeah. that yeah. I otherwise community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at that that part, and in terms of uh, trainers too, working with people with disabilities. Also, and trainers who service dog uh, want to do service dog. A lot of it can be done virtual. The virtual support, virtual training that they're doing, um, it allows people to work with a with a broader population as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank goodness for Zoom, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone listening to this, run, don't walk. Go to Veronica's website. cooperative pause she's on facebook she's on instagram <laughs> go find her on instagram <laughs> oh my gosh now i'm gonna have to go check my instagram and see if people are trying to message me there <laughs> and yeah and and please don't I mean run don't walk I've, I've heard it's a fabulous program i have every trust and confidence in you and your capabilities of running it so oh, yeah thank you I, so I, much for your support and I, and, I, and I said this to you last time and i do mean this at some point i'm going to apply for the program i can't right now because i have too many other balls in the air and i promise myself that i will bring some of them down yeah well good for you for pacing yourself and of course yeah. i'd love to have you anytime so whenever you want just let me know yeah. thank Lovely. you all right well, and we'll we'll talk to you very soon great take care yeah. thank you for listening that's us for the day to learn more about the pet professional guild visit www.petprofessionalguild.com and remember Have fun training.